Welcome to What Is This Music, a podcast about the mysteries of musical taste, why we love the music we love and hate what we hate. My name is Malcolm Fraser. I got into punk rock music uh, at a very impressionable age, sort of early, mid-teens, and I think, like a lot of people, it definitely changed my life, uh, whether for the better is debatable, but there's no question that it put my life on a different course that was kind of irreversible. And uh, in recent years, as I've been getting older, I reflect on, can music really change your personality? Or does it just kind of activate something that was lying dormant in your psyche these reflections are really what motivated this whole project. And one of the people who really inspired them uh, was my guest on today's show, Jesse Stanforth. He's a writer in Montreal, and among his many fields of expertise, he has a lot of knowledge about punk music, politics, and culture. It's always enlightening to hear his take on things, so uh, it's an interesting chat. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. So, I mean, I uh, what are what are we talking about? You just I, I you were very vague and in a way that I found I found uh, entertaining. So um, I was wondering uh, wh- where, where are you taking this? Well, basically, uh, this podcast is about. Um, well, my tagline is it's about the psychology and sociology of musical taste. Oh shit! Why why we love the music we love and hate what we hate? Oh God, yeah. And because you love the music you love and hate the music you hate so much, yeah. um, you were actually, I mean, in, in some ways, part of the inspiration for this whole project. That's a real honor, man. Thank you. Well, I mean, I was always, I've always been kind of uh, entertained and fascinated and intrigued by your, um, your statements about music, your passion about it. Um, and, uh, there were a couple of things, a couple of moments that were almost like clicks in the combination lock to, to, um, to sort of unlock this idea, um, that were things that you said. Um, uh, but, uh, I guess, you know, before I get into that, um, yes. I mean, I guess you're, uh, you, you seem to like a lot of different types of music, but is it fair to say that punk and hardcore is kind of your, um, your comfort zone? Yeah, I think I probably have more punk and hardcore records, you know, than I have anything else. Um, I, I I listen to stuff very, very widely. The only stuff I, I genuinely dislike, I really don't like uh, musical theater um, or 70s light rock is a real um, a real hard spot for me. I, I have no love for 70s light rock at all. Yeah, I, well, that was one of the things um, that, um, that I referred to earlier because I re- have this um, recollection of... It was in the very uh, late pre-pandemic days, and we ran into each other at a show at Lesco Griff. It was the King Con and Barbecue show. Right, yeah, yeah. And we were just, we started shooting the shit and talking about music as as one does. And um, I can't remember why, but I sub- somehow like was making the case, probably like ha- at least half just for the sake of argument, for some bloated corporate 70s band like genesis or something and you Mm -hmm. just like you were having none of it you said (laughs) said, oh no uh 
you know, I don't like music that was popular during my parents' divorce. Well, I mean, that's like, it's, it's super, super personal, right? And I, for many years, I was under the strangely mistaken impression that music was in some way ob objectively, you know, classifiable or, um, and I think a lot of that went out the window in particular. So I have a, a bottom 40 uh, of songs um, and like the, 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 like the three nastiest and I want, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell anybody what they are because I don't like the idea of people, people being able to lord that over me. Okay. But, um, the, the three songs that make me deeply uncomfortable were all, um, minor hits in the year 1982. Okay. Um, as, <laughs> and it was, it wasn't until I started to look these songs up. So I was, I was writing something, um, I, I like to make myself uncomfortable when I write about certain things because I feel like I can get at the core of, of um, subjects that I'm getting at more. So I was forcing myself to listen to only these songs that were deeply upsetting to me while I wrote this uh, particular thing about childhood. And, you know, it was an unpleasant experience. And while I was going through it, I had all kinds of time to wonder about, you know, the making of this music. And I happened to look them up and realized, holy Christ, all three of these, these are all... You know, and I was listening to a whole bunch of other stuff, and it all lined up, and I realized, oh God, this is just—you know—it's—it's um, it's all collateral damage. This just happened to be the music that was on when stuff in my family went terribly, terribly wrong, and you know, people were not happy. I didn't have a great—you know—my childhood was not super happy, and uh, it was really, really kind of unstable at a particular time, which happened to be 1982. And so I've just always had really strong reactions, and for the longest time. You know, I just heard that stuff around. It was just the music, you know, that was what music was presented to me as, just, just kind of all that kind of top 40 stuff that my folks were listening to. And they had the radio on in the car. You know, my dad was, you know, my dad's a big music guy, or he was, and he still kind of is. But, you know, digital things have made it a little different. But my dad used to, you know, he was the first person who made mixtapes that I knew of. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, he would, you know, he would buy um, a bunch of records over the course of a year, and then he'd, you know, put all his fa you know, favorite tracks onto a tape. But, you know, he, he tended to buy kind of more top 40 stuff. And um, I just grew up figuring that was what was all around. And you kind of had to put up with it. But I mean, I started, you know, discovering underground music when I was 13, 14. So, but, you know, um, but between when I was like, yeah, between uh, being in grade eight and grade nine. And, okay. um, and I was pretty desperate, right? Because like, you know, grade nine is a bad time. And uh, I didn't really have like a lot of... Um, a lot of connections in my high school and I had one really good friend who had moved away and I didn't quite fit into some other stuff and so I started you know looking pretty desperately for um, for some other kind of music um, well for, for some other kind of anything I was I was reading you know this was it was a very analog time as you'll remember so I used to go mm -hmm. you know to uh, the magazine store at uh, I, I, I lived close enough to Westgate Shopping Center in, in Ottawa and so I you know I had a I had an Ottawa citizen paper route when I was in grade nine and I go Friday night and I do my collections. I go over and try and, you know, try and find something that just indicated the existence of a world other than the kind of drivel that I had been served. And okay. so I, I started kind of wandering into, you know, I got into the band Camper Van Beethoven that way, uh, which was just an absolutely huge band for me growing up. I mean, just massive. Um, and it was sort of, you know, I, I got really into the Dead Milkman. I hadn't really heard, I didn't really know about punk exactly, or so I, didn't, I didn't know how this stuff kind of related to it. And I just kind of fell into it. And... I, I fell into it particularly passionately because it was the antithesis of this music that I'd grown up with that, that, that made me uncomfortable. And it especially, I mean, I, it really, yeah, my father hated it. 
um, for you know for a lot of good reasons. I mean, one some of it was sonic. I mean, my my dad would come in and ask me to, to listen to music on headphones because he would tell me this is shit. So I'd rather not have to listen to it. So could you just put it on headphones? Um, and yeah, I wasn't you know actively like rebelling against my parents at that point. You know, had an okay relationship, I guess. But I was like. You know, this is what I was into. I, it, it really felt like my own thing. And that was like, I think, a, a really important piece for me, you know, that yeah. I, I, I imagine. I mean, I know it's for a lot of people. It's like, you, you know, when you, when you get when you're united by um, by a passion for something that's beneath the surface. Um, you know, it, it becomes uh, it becomes pretty serious pretty quickly in terms of emotions. For sure. So I just just go, um, I I. I, I... I want to talk about that, but just going back a little bit, sure. um, you you said that the the music you discovered was the the opposite or the antithesis of the uh, of the sort of smooth corporate rock that you um, that you yeah. despise. I mean, I know that that's probably self evident to a lot of people, but I just wonder, like, in what way was it opposite to you? Well, I, I was just thinking about um, because I knew you were going to ask me something about this. Uh, because you have a real fondness, I know, for a lot of this sort of um, pop from the 70s that you don't seem to experience even with any kind of ironic filter. You just seem to straight up enjoy it, and I totally respect that and understand it. So I never, you know, I never want to feel like I'm, like, insulting anybody, um, but I've made it known that I strongly dislike the band The Guess Who, and as, as uh-huh. I was waiting for your call, I was thinking about the, the song These Eyes and okay. how, as a kid... I just really fixated on how little it felt to me like that song was doing. Like it, okay. it just—it didn't seem like a, a song that had any kind of ambition at all. Mm. It just—you know—it's—it's it's these really kind of milk toast chord changes and a kind of a really kind of banal mal- uh, melody that that that. that I don't know. I remember being a child and finding this, like be, being quite small, like five, six years old, and just thinking, "God, this song." It just goes on and it doesn't do anything. So, and it was all, you know, really, really carefully recorded, right? Particularly, I mean, I think of I mean, probably the Guess Who, they were probably more of an AM band. But, like, at that point, you know, the amount of, of, of money that was going into the production of records for the FM uh, broadcast system, right? These Everything sounded, like, really velvety. My dad, I, you know, I, my dad really got me into Steely Dan when I was a kid. I was a really big okay. Steely Dan fan. And that was, like... You know, it's just that 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 was that music that's entirely built in studios. You know, like mm-hmm. there's there's no sense of this being a live, vivacious thing occurring at any point. And so I heard, you know, I heard. Um, first of all, I heard music with a sense of humor. That that was what I liked at first. You know, I mean, I I, I got into the Dead Milkman. I got into like Camper Van Beethoven. You know, they had Take the Skinheads Bowling, and they weren't otherwise really a joke band. But I liked that they they had kind of an ironic distance, and I think that's ultimately what got me into punk. You know, I could tell that there was something funny going on over there. And yeah, it's funny. You know, I was just doing one of these interviews uh, yesterday, I think, and and the the guys I was interviewing somehow ended up like, I, I'm maybe I'm rep- representing this unfairly, but kind of making fun of me for being into the Dead Milkmen, and I was <laughs> like, well, you know, fair enough, I suppose, but like I. As a kid, I was like really into Weird Al, yeah, so I feel I like was it was too. a bridge from uh, Weird Al and novelty music to punk rock. Like it's a normal kind of like transitional phase. Oh my god, that's so true. 
That's so. I mean, I heard I heard um, take the skinheads bowling on Doctor Demento, which I was listening to to hear more music like uh, Weird Al. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a really. I think that uh, like when you talk about ironic distance and subversion, like you know, Weird Al in his own way, um, he's almost like an institution or an icon at this point. But mm. like, I think that he um, is of a piece with mad magazine and i'm obviously not saying anything novel by saying that but like as a kid just realizing that um you can you can uh accept the culture that's sort of fed to you or you can just kind of poke fun at it exactly yeah and there's a real impishness that's a that's a like i mean i honestly i hadn't thought about mad magazine in terms of of weird al just because i haven't maybe have thought that much about weird al but there's very much like you know, Mad Magazine was still a you know a cultural force when when I was first hearing Weird Al. Like I think I'm three yeah I'm three years younger than you because you graduated three years ahead of me. Um, so you were just a little bit older, which meant that you were like the prime age for a Weird Al childhood. Um, <laughs> and I came I came into it you know just a couple years later, and so like I think you know Dare to Be Stupid had come out you know like when I was like six or seven or something. So I didn't know about that. I you know, I got that and I was really into it. You know, and then I kind of left it behind because it's like, you know, joke songs you can kind of listen to once or twice. I like the fact that they were funny, but it was kind of like, you know, um, it's 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 interesting. Like you say, it's an institution of this kind of um, impishly taking the piss with with whatever happens to be the ongoing popular thing. And so the thing was, I wasn't necessarily into the ongoing popular thing. Like I never I never liked the song um, Stop Dragging My Heart Around by Tom Petty. So I didn't like Stop Dragging My Car Around. Okay. Um, you know, it was like I, um, I, I honestly, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, just the, the past few months, you know, I've been really isolated, and uh, I've listened to a lot of music, obviously, while that's going on, and I've really started to understand how, as a kid, you know, I was after um, some kind of neurochemical stimulation, dopamine or serotonin or something. I mean, I've, I've very, very, very clear memories of lying um, on the sofa in my mom's living room. Uh, listening to, I mean, probably the Thriller LP, uh, or the, mm-hmm. or, or maybe like the Back to the Future soundtrack or something, because those were the like the first um, first records that I owned. Yeah. And I'm, it was like it was like something I was doing just to get a kick out of it. I remember, you know, the way that there are certain points in certain songs that hit, and I remember thinking at the time, you know, I wasn't really allowed to touch. I was a kid. I wasn't allowed to touch the phonograph that much. So I had to listen to the the record the whole side through. I wasn't allowed to kind of sort of you know drop the needle down anywhere, and okay. so I was fascinated by the way that there'd be songs that you'd really get into, and then there were songs that was like oh, you, know, you kind of have to get through in order to get to the next song that really has that like it gives you a dose, right? And it's ultimately it's what, what you're getting is you you're 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 deriving some deep neurochemical satisfaction and feeling of of safety and and um, unity with the universe when when there's really exciting stuff going on in a song for you, right? We, we talked about, like, I, I don't know why I'm fixating on the, the, the dead milkman, but, like, <laughs> there, there is... I, I just feel like it's it's something that I, I never really revisited in the same way that I, you know, will, every few years I'll, like, listen to the Ramones again and just, mm-hmm. like, hear new things and, yep. and like it even more than I did before. Um, I haven't done that yet with Dead Milkmen, just because sort of as you say with humor-based bands, like after you've heard it a certain amount of times, like the the joke isn't uh, funny anymore. Right. But um, but but there was something. I mean, they they had a they had a strong punk element, but they were were pretty musical in a way too. 
Oh, I mean, for they sure. Weren't, they weren't the 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 singer Rodney Anonymous was kind of like you know a, a sort of shouty um, punk singer without much of a voice. But the but the um, the musicians i think were were pretty talented actually there was there was a quite a bit going on there oh yeah and i mean also you know joe uh, joe gennaro who went as uh, joe jack talcum um you know he sang a few of the songs including punk rock girl and i think a lot of people who you know people who heard punk rock girl as the hit then got a band where rodney anonymous is the singer which mm-hmm. is kind of a surprise um but yeah they were very like there are hooks in those records that's what makes them great you yeah. know like um and you know, there's a lot of, like, the Dead Milkman, there's a lot of throwaway material to return to in your mid-40s. But there's still songs that are really effective. And they're effective because they're hooky, they're put together really well. Um, they've they've got, um, you know, I do you remember the song Brat and the Frat? Which for some reason is played on a mandolin. Um, I mean, I, I, I remember the title and I'm sure I would recognize it if I heard it. But He's um strangely catchy. It's a forty second song about hating fraternity people and everyone who goes to universities. Um and it's somehow you like you can it it works remarkably well on a mixtape because it may be kind of blatant and ridiculous, but you can't deny it's it's really catchy. Right. So after you you talked about the the dead milkman as a kind of like gateway drug mm-hmm. to to punk. So what was the 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 first like full on punk? A band or or what was the do you remember a show or a record or a song it was it was the dead kennedys in god we trust incorporated i and so i would go to these record stores and i mean i didn't know like back in you know the in grade nine you, i i wanted to get these dead milkman records and they would you wouldn't necessarily see them at the big stores like Sam the Record Man or ANA Records and Tapes. You'd go in there and they'd have like, they might have one record by the Dead Milkman, but I, I started trying to figure out where to go to, you know, where what store carries this stuff. And I was learning about this stuff online too because I was a super early adopter of um, BBSs, the bulletin board systems, online bulletin board okay. systems. And I had, during, there was a, a teacher's strike that took place when I was in grade nine, you would have been grade 12 in the spring of that year. Sure, I remember that. It was a beautiful time. And um, during, it was a beautiful time because I didn't have to go to school or I was, you know, I, I didn't have much of a good time there. And I was really stoked not to be in school. And while I was out, somebody turned me on uh, to these bulletin board services and, and everybody was talking about music on it. And it was all music I'd never heard of. And except with the exception of the Dead Kennedys, because I had been in a store um, I think, you know, on a vacation with my folks out in, in Vancouver and I'd seen this band that did Kenny. I was like, this is really weird, man. Like these, these people seem really sick and they seem to think that's funny. And at the time I was like, I'm not sure about that. Um, but then I started hearing like more and more people kind of on these bulletin boards, just mentioning these bands in passing. And one of the things that you used to do on bulletin boards is people um, would would type out the, the lyrics to their favorite songs and upload them, and you could spend, like, five minutes downloading a text file to find out what the lyrics to, like, Brat and the Frat were. Right. And I had seen, I said, oh, they got lyrics for Dead Milkman songs on here. They've also got lyrics for Dead Kennedy songs. I wonder what those people sing about. You know, they seem real crazy. And I downloaded the Dead Kennedy song, um, a song called Straight A's, just the lyrics to it, which is about... Um, being in high school, being depressed, feeling this horrible pressure on you, I feel like nobody's there there for you, and then resolving that by killing yourself. 
and I was a pretty fucked up 14 year old and I was like I really want to know more about this band like this is not what I thought they would be singing about and um, it, I ended up going back to school you know at the end of the strike and there was this uh, kid in my class named Renee who was um, I think he only owned t-shirts of the band The Misfits and <laughs> yeah. um, he was not good at gym and I was not good at gym and so we had kind of been lumped together, I guess, partly because we were just not good at gym. And I said to him, hey, man, um, I, I actually, the, the other band that I had heard about at the time was Black Flag. And they had these really scary looking records, which, like the Dead Kennedys, also seemed to be implying there was something funny about whatever was very scary. And so that was just the first one that came to mind. I remember asking Renee, like, hey, do you, uh, do you know this band Black Flag? And he was like, yeah, yeah, they're great. And I said, you got anything by them? And he was like, no, man, no, no. And I said, I said, well, how about this band, The Dead Kennedys? And he was like, oh, yeah. And he was like, I got a tape I can loan you. So he loaned me this uh, this, this tape of In God We Trust. And it was, um, I mean, it bore no resemblance to any music I'd ever heard before. It was ridiculously fast. I mean, it, I, the, the experience, I mean, I've written about the experience of hearing it for the first time. It was like it was like a punch in the face. It was, it was shocking. It was... Um, really confusing like I guess I had I had been really opposed to um <laughs> speaking of, of of weird um fixations I, I I was really opposed to heavy metal growing up mm-hmm. um partly you know because it was the 80s and by the time I was old enough to be like 14 like you know hair metal was kind of a joke but I'd been kind of pushed around by metal kids growing up and like you know I grew up near Tunney's Pasture in Ottawa and there was some there's some metal kids who lived in that neighborhood who weren't super nice to like, you know, little dorky kids like me. And so I, I always, I was like, oh, metal, man, that's bad. I don't know about it. I don't like it. It's just, it's like bad kid music. And, you know, this is, this is the music of people who would beat you up. And I really didn't want to be getting into that kind of music, man, because I didn't want to hang out with those kinds of people. And I don't know. I just, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to enjoy what those people enjoyed. It's mm-hmm. a weird, weird way of thinking of it. But I remember like trying to like make out what is this music? Is this heavy metal? Like, it's really fast. It really doesn't sound like metal. There's no solos. You can't really hear anything. And like, the thing that really hooked me was the the terror of the atom bomb, you know? Like, I was really afraid of, of nuclear war. And, sure, uh, you know, sure. Hearing them, you know, the, some of the only lyrics I can make out were specifically about Ronald Reagan and Al Haig. And, and I mean, I remember I was doing my papers while I was listening to this tape, and I kept stopping my paper route and digging the, the tape out of my pocket and trying to read the lyrics and you know um you know blow it out your ass jesse helms i was like oh i i'm i'm into that yeah i think i think i'm okay with that that's this is cool i it was this like two block long period in which i was doing my papers it's a very short album and i was on my bike actually i wasn't you know i was going pretty fast it's not a long album at all and by the end of it i was just i remember feeling kind of punch drunk uh, it was it was a really intense experience to have listened to this record and uh, on tape, um, and I remember thinking, did I like that? Um, <laughs> it was. I mean, it's hard not to like because if you know the album, it ends with their cover of the theme from Rawhide, which is just a fun dumb song, and they make it sound like something more than a fun dumb song, right? Like it really sounded like something revolutionary it really one of the things i really like about their cover of the sound rawhide is that there's aspects of it that sound like the instruments are on fire um like you know there's just there's a sort of a kind of a crackle to it that just sounds like this is something being destroyed 
And I was delighted by that because I was not into anything that I was being fed and nobody had really kind of told me the possibility there might be something out there I could I could kind of get into that would really speak to who I was. I remember songs about nuclear war being just like depressing and defeated and like this is a thing. It, I just almost it seemed to me that nuclear war was so so massive and unstoppable that you couldn't really say anything about it and to hear people who didn't take it seriously to hear people who were going to joke about it I mean that was that just changed everything for me I mean it was just a different way of understanding the universe and I mean it didn't take right away it's the sort of thing you kind of you absorb over a matter of months or years right but I mean it definitely immediately budged something so that like I could no longer maneuver the way I'd been maneuvering through the world before like I had a sense of there was something different happening musically that I could like invest in. I could, you know, and this is what I did is, I mean, I started very slowly. I made a, I made a lot of the wrong investments, you know, like I, you're doing a paper route as a kid. You're making like what, 30 bucks a week max. Um, and like a tape is $14. You, you can really, you can invest that the wrong way. There's so many threads there that we could talk about, but I, I wanted to, to touch on something you, you said earlier when you talked about hearing the dead Kennedys for the first time and, um, you said something I, I'm totally paraphrasing but like something that like something along the lines that like you didn't have a choice but for it to affect you um, mm. and I I kind of like you know I've had my own you know mixed feelings about the punk uh, you know scene community politics uh, and all that but it as, does, as, as any reasonable person should <laughs> but it it definitely you know it I feel like in a way it's it's a lot like a religion and it reminds mm -hmm. me of that old cliche or expression I don't know who said it but it's like you know give me a kid when they're eight and I'll make them a Catholic for life it's something it's right. kind of like that like if you yeah. discover if you're a certain have a if you have a certain type of personality or or a range of personalities and you discover punk at an impressionable moment like you, you can't really ever leave it behind in a weird way oh god yeah and I feel like that's both been a blessing and a curse for for me personally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that is uh, that is a very very true statement. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. Uh, yeah. And I mean, you know, just in terms of like the, the the DIY ethic and and culture as well was so inspirational and yet so uh, kind of like I don't want to say imprisoning, but it definitely like after a certain number of years like it's not um how can i put this i i was going to say it doesn't fit in with the values of society which was obvious on the surface and that was part of the appeal mm. but it doesn't i didn't i don't feel like it really gave me survival skills no it wasn't necessarily <laughs> in, super functional no that's it that's i guess that's what i'm getting at you know like utopianism the problem with utopianism is that you um you end up with a bunch of great ideas you have no idea how to bring about in reality and like that was you know yeah i mean you can get into the like the the politics you know the, the various failures of of the diy punk scene one of the things that was really interesting about diy for me though um is that like it it was very much you know i was raised in part by my grandparents who were from the depression and so you know they they i was raised really with this idea of like the value of a dollar and how you should you know mm -hmm. you, like my father is the type of person who you know he wouldn't hire somebody to paint him his house he would set out a series of weekends over a summer and do it himself. Um, mm -hmm. 
because, you know, like, why would you pay somebody else? You can do it yourself. And so I grew up with that set of values anyway, and I was kind of excited to discover it in, in the punk community. Um, so I, I never felt like I, I you know, um, on that front, like there was anything I really needed to ideologically kind of fit myself in line with, because I think also the politics started to really appeal to me for a while. And I mean, they still mm -hmm. do, but like, I think the simplicity of punk politics is something you have to move beyond because you can't just constantly be rejecting things, right? You have to, and, and you know, a lot of, a lot of punk, uh, is really constructive and has, uh, come up with a lot of great ideas. Only a few bands and movements have really built amazing things out of it, but there's a lot of possibility there and that's enough to, you know, you, you can do a lot on credit with it. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I suppose, um, you know the 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 thing that's both um like paradoxically liberating and constricting about it is is the fact that it it provides an answer it's like what should you do in this situation well <laughs> like just consult the the rule book and well, yeah. tell you and i mean what's what's wild too is that if you consult the rule book you know i mean if you get really involved in like punk communities well everybody has a different rule book so, you know, that's not going to work yeah. for very long. Um, and a lot of people sort of discover that, you know, when, like, I mean, I, I think it was very shocking for me. You know, I, I presumed that the people who, when I got into punk, I presumed that everybody got into punk for the same reason as I had. And I, you know, that's not reasonable at all. But I just sort of presumed, you know, well, I, I, I my knowledge of the universe and the world is quite limited. And I was, you know, I was a kid. And I really felt as though, like, you know, um, this is this is a direction that people go for this particular reason. And I was kind of surprised to discover that everybody was coming into it with like different politics, and not everybody was as left wing as I was. Uh, and I, you know, I was never somebody who needed to be convinced by punk records. Like I was like, oh, just give me more information. And you know, I, I was already kind of going to be a, um, a pretty you know pretty pink character either way. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's you know, the punk itself. It's 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 embarrassing to be in your forties and talking about punk, <laughs> in some way. <laughs> you think? Well, not really. I mean, it's you know because I, I think punk is so much defined by how it's understood by society at large, rather than defined by its its breadth and depth. You know, like the vast majority of people, if you tell them, well, you know, I was really into punk rock growing up, they're gonna ask you, well, did you did you? get spit on you know have you ever been hit with a bottle and i mean like yeah i mean the answer to both of those is yes but um <laughs> it it's not you know there's more to it than that and um of course. It's, it's hard to explain to people you know like people don't you know um if people don't know really what punk rock is or if they only know sort of you know the 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 version of it as as uh Ramones, Sex Pistols, Clash, and then nothing happens for 15 years, and then suddenly it's Nirvana. Um, mm. You know, like it's hard to explain to people, well, why? Why would you do this? Uh, a very good friend of mine um, is uh, a librarian. He's a, uh, he, he grew up gay in the 80s in Brixton in England, and for some reason really got into classical music. And so I was, you know, when we first met up through a mutual friend, became friends, and he was asking me about this punk business. And so he'd, he'd seen punk rockers around, but he really sort of didn't know what to make of them. And I played some, some music for him, and he was kind of okay with this. And I, I played, there's a particular band, going back to your, your discussion about humor, are you familiar with a band by the name of Hard Skin? 
Okay. No, I, I've, I've heard the name, but I don't know them. Well, Hardskin is simultaneously the best skinhead band in the world and the most complete parody of a skinhead band. But okay. the thing about them, this is something that I, I really find delightful about about punk. It's it's a there there's a willingness uh, of, of people to create things where um, parody exists simultaneously with fully heartfelt uh, earnestness. And so, Hardskin mm. is a group of people who clearly were you know they're all into skinhead music and uh, and street punk and stuff. They're much smarter than they let on. You know the the lead singer Fat Bob actually is, you know, he works at Rough Trade in in London, and he's Joanna Newsom's tour manager. Um, okay. But they they do these songs that are um, hilarious parodies of skinhead songs, but are also, if you're a skinhead, and you take being a skinhead very seriously, you can just kind of enjoy them without really being too bothered by the fact that they're making fun of you a little. Um, mm. there's a real delight. And so I brought my friend, uh, my, my friend, um, well, first I introduced my friend from Britain to Hardskin, and he loved the fact that they were from, uh, from East London. He, he knew all the references. And, um, so he, I think got himself a record and he liked it and they were coming to town. And I said, well, why don't we, why don't we go see them? And so after, after the show, he said, you know, it was, I was surprised at how funny it was. I mean, Hardskin are just an absolutely hilarious band on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and the songs are just they're, they're anthemic, they're hard-hitting, they're catchy. If you read the lyrics, they're very clever. Um, they're not joke songs. You know, you can listen to them over and over and over if you want to, if, if, you're, if you're inebriated enough. Um, but yeah, there's a real core of, of humor. And, and my friend said, well, it's very much like the pantomime. It's very, very much in the tradition of pantomime. You know, everybody, uh, he enjoyed the, the part of the punk show where everybody yelled at the people on stage and booed and hissed and threw garbage and you know i mean it was all um there there's a lot more going on with it than i think than a lot of people give it credit for so it's hard to talk about it when you're in you're you're getting kind of middle age and you and you, you kind of hope that folks if you're talking about this stuff they know that you know oh you're talking about like this whole this whole kind of broad arts movement as opposed to like you know having devoted yourself to being spit on and hit with bottles for like 25 years or true well, true up on 30 now I'm always um, fascinated, as I said before, when I see um, you. You have a pretty active uh, presence on the social media. And you're often uh, posting about music and mm-hmm. sharing stuff. And um, I, I saw something that you said a little while ago that that fascinated me so much that I, I had to take a screenshot of it. And uh, really? I hope you don't mind me quoting back what you said. Oh you were God. you were looking for you were asking you were soliciting music suggestions, and you said, "quote." Ideally, they'd be really fast but swift. Zero metal or plodding heaviness. Smart people being dumb on purpose. Maybe a bit of melody in there, but optional. Something that sounds like a garbage can full of rocks rolling down a hill. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was... um, That garbage can full of rocks, that was specifically a reference to this band Sudor from Spain, who I had once realized sounded sort of like a garbage can full of rocks going down a hill, but like in an awesome way right um and yeah it was just it's just total chaos um yeah i was i was sort of uh, amazed by your eloquence but kind of shocked at how specific that request was <laughs> musically speaking i you know i'm probably like you i i still quite actively go out looking for new music and um you know i, I have i have a, a group of friends who i know who are are still 
digging into new music, but also old music, you know? And um, mm -hmm. so I, I, I have a few people who reliably will, you know, will turn me on to one thing or another and say, hey, you should check this out. You're going to like it. Um, but, you know, it's like I've, I've been finding that my tastes are very, very specific. And the more specific I can get about, you know, what I like, yeah, that you know those are the bands that excite me the most and the problem is when you have a band that sounds like that you listen to it 10,000 times you start to get tired of it and you're like well I want to get excited in the same way like I want that that flash of, of dopamine mm -hmm. again uh, you know I, I, I could listen to this you know like Sudor from Spain or I could get find out what band sounds like that now you know like what, what band sounds like that in the last 10 minutes you talked about the dopamine rush and you talked earlier about um, the different types of people who get uh, into punk rock and i mean it's true that um you know politically socially as well as musically like it takes all kinds but there is a, a common thread running through it which is like a sort of anti-authoritarian uh spirit mm -hmm. or like um you know I, I you i don't know if you've heard this term but like there's this new term in the sort of pathologization if that's a word of um of uh different types of personalities which is uh oppositional defiant disorder yeah i've, I've heard a bit about that yeah <laughs> and wh when i heard that i was like wait i mean like okay is that really a thing and and if it is is it so bad for people to to be oppositional or defiant i mean I, you know i suppose it becomes <laughs> you and i have the experience both of of um doing frontline work uh with people on the street uh through the organization that we work for Mm -hmm. um, volunteering. And, um, there are some people that we've seen, you know, um, we can't obviously talk about, um, about people, but you, you, you do, when you're working with folks who can't function in the rest of society, you start to understand some of the things that cause people to fail out. And I could see mm -hmm. somebody being so oppositional and defiant as to, you know, um, make, uh, really seriously, you know, anti-social choices, like not wearing a face mask in a pandemic, for example. Sure, sure. Um, no, I mean, you know, there's like, and honestly, um, you you know, when when you see people who have really generally failed in society to the, fo the point that, you know, they are maybe living on the street or they're otherwise very impoverished, and you recognize aspects of, of a personality disorder in them, it's it can give you a, sort of a sense of how, um, you know, if you have that kind of disorder and you, they're not really in control anymore, you know, so I, I guess defiance is, is important. Opposition is, is important, but you know, it's also, I mean, one of the things that's, that's, um, probably the most important thing for the young punk rocker to learn is the ability to acknowledge being wrong and mm. the ability to recognize that you should probably look more deeply into an issue, uh, than you, you might have at first, at first blush. You know, I was as guilty as well, much more guilty than most people um as a teenager of uh, attaching myself uh, myself to issues that i might not have fully understood the full breadth of you know because i i wanted the importance that feeling of of being attached to something greater than myself because it is you know at that age you're you're trying to define yourself you have no sort of um fixed sense of who you, your identity is necessarily and it's very easy to say, okay, well, now I'm the political guy, you know, I'm really angry about this thing and that thing, and these things are all injustices, and, you know, you can really tell your peers, hey, look at me, I'm paying attention to things in a way you're not, right? Um, yeah. You know, so, like, um, I think that, you know, 
the people who the, the most interesting people who stick around punk for a really long time are the people who learn to ask interesting questions mm. um you know like the people who are who are interested to hear what uh people are saying regardless of you know whether they may already have an idea about how it might resolve you know like i, I remember being about 17 years old and a lot of my friends just kind of stopped going to punk shows you know because we've been going for a few years and they were like wow they all it's all all the same i was like how, how could you say that there's all these new bands you know and a few years later i was as jaded as everybody else and um you know you you have to kind of keep continuing to open yourself to um the possibility that you know that the thing that you heard once maybe you heard wrong you should give it a second shot and uh you know For i sure. love i love an opportunity to come back to a piece of music that i dismissed and discover there's value in it um that's with that, with the exception of 70s uh soft rock i mean honestly if you know um i i am a hate listener so i will definitely <laughs> every once in a while like i will go down like a caffeine crash and i will like maybe listen to like Daniel by Elton John and get really angry and read about Elton John and just get just get angry at the 70s and all these people with their you know everybody in the 70s dressed like a clown version of of a normal person uh-huh. uh you know all the collars were gigantic all you know every, everything seems clownish in the 70s um up until you know people started actually tearing their clothes which to me seems like inevitable uh sensible result of all that but yeah i mean right. you know it, it, there's um Somewhere out there, there's got to be um, a song with an electric piano and that whatever particular set of chords drives me crazy that somehow works and that I could hear it and go, wow, I did not expect that was going to touch me. Um, there's another thing that you said, and I, I didn't uh, screenshot this one, so I'm going to have to paraphrase it, but I thought mm. it was very poignant when you were talking about listening to like really harsh music full of uh, despair Mm-hmm. And and you said something along the lines that um, what you liked from it was the way that it pointed away. Uh, you know, it it show it was like showing that the 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 singer or performer had been in this dark place and was sort of right. showing the the way out of it. Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, I, I was talking about the laughing hyenas, and um, I've been going through a period. Unfortunately, uh, you know, we're in the middle of this pandemic, but. Um, you know, my partner Angie has been going through some real medical problems and, um, we've been just, you know, we've, we've been struggling within the medical system, um, a lot over the past year. And I have come up at, to, to some pretty serious despair. And I, uh, I, you know, I listened to this band, the laughing hyenas, um, when I'm feeling a lot of despair because they were deeply, deeply fucked up people. And, um, the music is about suffering and it, it makes me feel less alone. And it, it's very much like, um, I, I had been hiking, I guess, the, I think the day that I wrote that, uh, I'd been up at Mount Orford, I think. And, you know, you can go for a little bit in the forest and think you're lost, but then you see that there's a, you know, that someone has marked a tree and that there's a trail there. Somebody has been that way before you. Mm-hmm. And I w- you know, it really connected uh, with, with me when I was listening to the hyenas that day, just thinking, yeah, you know, like I'm like, those people survived that band um, and they were in very bad places in their lives. So, you know, if, if they can make music that was a record of that kind of suffering, then it's also a record of survival. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a record of, um, of, you know, you, you, it's not so much 
you know, it's a record of their having been there so that you can get to that spot and recognize that you're not alone. And that's, that's enormously valuable. Totally. Well, you know what? I think that's a great note to end on. We've been going at this for like nearly an hour. So I think Beautiful. Um, that's uh Thank you for the conversation. I, I, hey, man, thank you so much for calling me. This is so much fun. Yeah, totally. Um, I feel like, you know, half the reason I'm doing this is as an excuse to uh, to, to talk to interesting people uh, who, uh, you know, I, I don't have get as much of a chance to connect with. Well, I mean, it's, it's a pleasure to just, yeah, just get a, a 60 minutes uh, just straight sitting down talking about music with you is always a pleasure, and we haven't done it in a long time. So, it's true. Uh, well, yeah. Till the next time. All right. Thank you, Jesse, for being on the show. And thank you very much for listening. You can find the playlist on Spotify that Jesse made specially for this show, describing his uh, journey in punk. You can find that on the What Is This Music Facebook page or on the podcast homepage where you can check out more episodes if you haven't heard them. I'm going to take a two-week break for the holidays and be back in 2021 with more What Is This Music? 